When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big Money Siege. Uh, we are fully underway for the 2023-2024 NHL season. All the Canadian teams have played, including an absolute barn burner of a game between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. That ends in a shootout. The Leafs win. Austin Matthews gets a hat trick. Uh, the folks at the SDP are very happy, I'm sure. Siege, what did you think of that game? I'm sure you were in the building for that. Take us through it, man. Let's let's talk about this game to start off the show. Yeah, it's one of those games, right? It, the game was drunk. It felt like almost because it was it was going in so many different directions. Uh, you know, one of the Leafs players mentioned after the game, it was a roller coaster. I think that's a pretty good way to sum up the night. And and look, I, I think you look around these these first two nights of regular season play. There's some lopsided scores out there. I think that there's a lot of work for the the coaches or a lot of material for the video coaches to. Um, you know, dissect uh, for their teams in practice because, uh, you know, I think let's face it, systems play isn't down to normal at this time of year. And so I would take a six, five game, some of the most famous games in NHL or sorry, in, in hockey history, because it's international hockey, mostly have finished six, five. I think that's a, a great scoreline in general, because usually there's some back and forth in those kinds of games. And, you know, for, for the Leafs, uh, you know, I think it, it says a lot. They scored two goals with the goalie out, um, you know, saves the whole evening because had they lost that six, you know, if there's an empty net goal and they lose six, four or something like that, I mean, it's a totally different feeling, but they managed to somehow steal the two points and, you know, just a nice opening night. I think a lot of players had some good moments, obviously Matthews with a hat trick. I thought your Slavkovsky for Montreal actually showed really well in that game. And obviously a lot of attention on him, the 2022 first overall pick who I know is under a pretty intense microscope in Montreal with his development, still a very young player, but, you know, I thought it was a strong start to the season uh, for him and his line for the Canadians. And, uh, well, you know, let's face it, that, that game will be fun because most of the rest of the season won't look like that. So I think that that's, that's part of it. It's just great to have real games back, to have the energy in, in a building like that, and, and especially a third period where, you know, one team comes back and ties it in a pretty entertaining overtime, and it ultimately ends in a shootout. We even had an offside review. Don't you just love offside reviews? Yeah, going way back, I've not been a fan of these. Um, you know, the tricky thing I will say for the league, if you're, you you don't want obvious, obvious offsides missed, especially in big games like a playoff game. And the problem when you have review is then you also have to have sort of some of the, the, the more small details called. I mean, in this case, it's a, it takes a goal off the board for Montreal. It would have been 3 nothing at that point in time you know, five minutes into the second period, it, it, it could be, that might've been the night. Who knows? That might've been enough that the Leafs would go away. And, and the momentum really turned after that goal came back. There was no controversy about the call the the, the league got it right. But, you know, I think it's still a, a tough one in the moment because, you know, I think the, the goal that Cole Caulfield scored, you know, might've come 10 or 15 seconds after the, the missed play at the blue line. And, you know, obviously didn't directly impact the goal itself. Um, you know, but Montreal still got back in the game and got another two goal lead and didn't manage to keep it. So yes, I, I don't love those reviews. And I, and I, I think in general, look, we want more scoring in the sport. And so some of them are just so fractional. Um, like it's, it's so minute that the human eye can't even detect it and plague just goes on and everything's fine. 
Um, but you know, this is a skill now and, and it's funny, the least video coach, oh, they actually have two Jordan Bean, I believe is in charge though of, of the, uh, of those calls. I believe he's now 10 for 10 on reviews in the last season and a bit. So he's gotten a lot of shout outs from Sheldon Keefe because those are obviously valuable calls for the team. I mean, at that point, if that call is wrong and, and the goal stands and Toronto's killing a you know, penalty down three, nothing, you know, that game might be lost at that point in time. And so the, the video coaches shout out them because it, 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 <laughs> they don't get a lot of time in a high pressure environment to make those calls. And, you know, some, some are very good at it, including uh, the young man working for the Leafs coaching staff. Uh, the goaltending, I'm sure both goalies, uh, Ilya Samsonov and Jake Allen uh, would probably not like to think about uh, that game, uh, considering the goals that uh, they allowed. I saw some of uh, Ilya Samsonov's comments about how he wants to forget that game. Uh, I can imagine for the for the Canadians having that five three lead as well. Uh, not ideal for them to 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 lose that, but still just just nice to have seen an entertaining game. But also on the Leaf side with Ilya Samsonov, I, I would like to know more insight on how you think he played and how you think he took that game. Well, here's the problem, right? He he didn't have a strong finish to the preseason, and you say, well, it's just preseason. You know how much does that matter? And then you know opening night, you know, look, he was a victim of some terrible giveaways in front of him a couple bounces on the goals that, that you almost don't fault the goalie for, but he didn't look very comfortable in the net. And, and he certainly didn't a few times, you know, caught sliding way out of position. And, you know, he, he's very, uh, I don't know if you know him, Julian, but he's actually a pretty funny guy. And he, he said something to the effect after the game, he's like tough night for the goalies, especially the <laughs> Toronto goalie. <laughs> so he, he called his own number on that one. I mean, I don't think that you need to have a high level of understanding of how that position should be played to know that, that it was a, a difficult stretch for him. And, you know, I think this will be a storyline that let's let it marinate. I'm not going to, I'm not making any hot takes out of one game or even no. a couple of tough preseason games, but you know, I think the Leafs, like a few other teams around the league that, that have high expectations for the season, you know, still have kind of question marks in net. Um, you know, how things turn out. Samsonov had a really strong regular season for Toronto last year, played well in their, their victory over Tampa in the first round and was ultimately injured, you know, come the end of the season. Um, you know, but he's had, I think the, the question with him is, can he play 50 games or so? Can he be sort of what we would call a number one in today's NHL, uh, where that's, you know, roughly the, the number of starts. He's never played that many in the past. Can he stay healthy? Can he perform to that level? Can he handle the expectations? You know, it was a year ago, hard to believe when the Canadians and Leafs opened the season, it was Matt Murray in net for Toronto in that game. Uh, you know, some might forget that Samsonov started essentially as Toronto's second option last season, pretty quickly took over, you know, once he got healthy as, as the, the starter for the team. But, I think he's still got something to prove there that the backup is Joseph wall who had a, a great year last year, but you know, hasn't proven himself at, at the NHL level. And of course they've got Martin Jones as their third option in, in, you know, with the Toronto Marlies. But you know, I, I think it's fair to say that this will be a hotly uh, debated and scrutinized position for the Leafs. And um, you know, you, you don't want to let up five on the first night, but I guess if you get a win, at least at that, uh, that it's something to build on if you're in, in Samsonov's crease. And, and Austin Matthews, who uh, may or may not be a topic of discussion in sports interaction coming up, uh, him getting a hat trick over the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he's, he's starting that attack uh, for a Rocket Richard trophy. Obviously a good start for him for the season. Absolutely. And look, the, the first goal was his 300th in the NHL. And, you know, he's the fastest ever Leaf by a long shot to get to 300, 200 games quicker, uh, give or take, than Daryl Sittler did it fastest ever American born player in the NHL history to, to score 300 goals and, and fastest since Alex Ovechkin, you know, he's actually scoring to start his career at not too far off an Ovechkin level pace. Now, none of us can predict if he's got six or seven or eight more sort of 40 to 50 goal seasons in him, like Ovechkin managed to keep producing into his thirties, but, but, you know, he's, his, his scoring rate is pretty impressive. And, and, you know, Jonas Siegel, your colleague at the athletic there, Julian tweeted after the game. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize this, but Matthews has 26 goals in 32 games career versus Montreal. So, you know, he's, he's enjoyed that, that traditional rivalry, some big nights, uh, you know, obviously when these teams usually play, it's a Saturday game and lots of energy in the building, whether it's the bell center or Scotiabank arena. And yeah, I think for the Leafs, no, no secret or no mystery here that, that Austin's performance will be, you know, a, a big indicator of what the team can do. I mean, the, the way that you look at McKinnon in Colorado and McDavid in Edmonton, you know, Pasternak in Boston. I mean, these, these guys are the engines of their teams. And, um, you know, Austin by no means had a bad year last year. He had 40 goals and 85 points, but for him, you know, that, that, 
that's a bit of a down performance, especially given the prior season, he'd won the Hart trophy and the rocket Richard had 106 points and 60 goals. So, you know, I, I think he's more likely to chase 60 this year than to be near 40, not saying he'll get there, but I think somewhere North of 50 is, is likely for Matthews. And so to, to have that kind of start, I think just builds confidence. He played 10 games last season before he scores third goal and he didn't get through three periods before putting up three to start this season. And good at least that, you know, those goals came at a point when, I mean, when the Leafs needed to come back in that game against a Canadiens team that showed a lot of fight. I mean, they might still finish last place in that Atlantic division, but getting goals from Alex Newhook, you mentioned Uri Slavkovsky playing well too. Cole Caulfield eventually got goals later in the game. Like, I still like what the team is able to do. I still like for the Canadians anyway, that even if they're up against a team like the Leafs, they're at least trying to to show that fight. So even if they did blow a 5-3 lead, even I'll mention Jesse Ullinen too, who got a really nice goal in that as well. Even though they did blow a 5-3 lead, I saw a lot of Canadians fans actually be pretty pleased with the effort. Well, they should be. I mean, look, Toronto's high-level talent probably ultimately won the game when you, when you look at it on balance. And, and so... that's sort of what you expect to happen. That's where the the Canadians are going to look to get to, but you know, this is not a re this is not a a tank kind of team, right? I think the Canadians are very realistic about where they're at. I I think that even internally, I know that there might be some debate. I saw Marty San Luis talking about how he thinks the expectation should be a little higher than, than maybe what some people are saying externally. But I think realistically the Canadians front office knows that, that it's going to be another long year in some respects that it's probably not going to be a year that has a playoff chase deep into March or early April, but you know, they're, they are going to be competitive and look, they've added some veteran players. Uh, they've got Sean Monaghan back healthy. Um, you know, this is not, I don't think this is an attempt to, to race to the bottom and try to, 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 you know, win the right to draft Max Celebrini or whoever ends up being the, the number one pick in the 2024 NHL draft. So you know, I, I'm with you. I think from a process standpoint, if you're the Canadians, you like that game. A lot of things went well. Um, you know, they still had the ice pretty heavily tilted against them and, you know, couldn't hold a lead. But, you know, when, when you see the players that were on the ice when they scored, I mean, that's maybe on some some level to be expected. So I think that, that it's a, a year of growth for especially the the younger Canadians. And, you know, no no one likes – being way down at the bottom of the standings. So, you know, I, I would expect that they will exceed last year's point total. And even while doing so, you're right, they might still finish somewhere near the bottom of the East. You know, them in Philadelphia, probably the most likely teams at the bottom of the conference. Um, you know, mix in San Jose, see what Anaheim does this year if we're, if we're looking league-wide. You know, Columbus is trying to take a step forward. But I think you'll see a lot of the same teams near the bottom of the standings. I, I just don't think it'll be as as bad a year in some of those places as it was last season just because of Connor Bedard and some of the things that went on league-wide yeah uh, we'll get to Connor Bedard too uh, later on in our show uh, I should mention uh, congratulations uh, to some new teammates for us at the SDPN Arpin Basu and uh, Marc-Antoine Godin the Basu and Godin notebook uh, the newest podcast at the SDPN uh, a Montreal Canadian show uh, if you remember those two had uh, the athletic support together at the athletic uh, and now it has basically come to us here at the SDPN. So uh, congratulations to those two. I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, Montreal Canadiens content on the network. It's cool to hear those two guys. Love those guys. Yeah. I mean, if you want to know what's going on with the Canadians, you couldn't find better than those two to be talking about the team. It's awesome. They've joined the network. You'll never guess when I first met Arpin Basu. I, I can't even put a year on it. But you it, were both, Well, you were both teammates at, at the Canadian press, right? So in a matter of terms, yeah, he was actually a, a stringer, we called him, like a freelance writer yes. covering Montreal Expos games when the Expos were still in town. And I R. was R. a young sports desker taking calls from Arpin in Montreal, you know, filing on the Expos or he might have done some Alouettes back in the day, but I remember more being a baseball writer. And so we, we go back at least 20 years. So it, I've got tons of respect for Arpin's work and um, I think it's what him and Marc Antoine will bring to the network is going to be fabulous. I've done both of your jobs. Like I've I've been in Arpin's role as a stringer, and I've been on the desk at at CP. I I know what that. I, I bet you worked like were your shifts like seven p.m. two a.m. You get those. You get those hours. Back in those days, there was one shift that was six till one, and then there was an eight till three was the final. So I was I was either the the latest shift. I was you know, most often either six to one or eight till three. Jeez, um, yeah. But honestly, lots of great learning for me in those days. I was Absolutely. young. 
you know, at CP, you got to do, you wear a lot of hats. You're, you're obviously editing stories like the ones Arpin would have been filing, but you know, maybe someone puts out a press release announcing some news. You got to, you know, write a really quick three or four or five paragraph story. Um, all kinds of different skills that, that still serve me well today. So I, I really treasure my time at CP and, and I look at the people I worked with there, you know, Julie Scott, who's, you know, now one of the senior editors at the athletic Shai mm-hmm. Davidi, who's the, the great baseball writer at Sportsnet, Pierre Lebrun, uh, my colleague at TSN and, and yours at the athletic. I mean, I, I, those were my colleagues, Arpin, you know, like it, 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 it really was a, a great place to learn. And I was obviously surrounded by people that have gone on to have a long career and, um, yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to turn this into story time. That's but, fine. Uh, That's totally fine. Just, story times just are always welcome of, on the CJ show. I'm just reminiscing of, of meeting Arpin all those years ago. And it's just funny how, how the media world goes and, and you end up seeing the same faces over and over and over again. Okay. One more thing before we go to sports interaction, give me your thoughts on the new Toronto Maple Leafs goal song. So we talked about it on a previous episode and they've changed it. Hollow Notes, uh, no longer the goal song for the Leafs. Uh, at least one uh, that are I saw on the interwebs being spread as the goal song, uh, Pursuit of Happiness by Kid Cudi. I would love your review of that song. I got to say, I really liked it. I thought, I thought it was a, a good vibe. Um, you know, I was not banging the table saying we got to change this goal song. Like this was not, as I said to you, like I was very ambivalent, but... I don't think it's the worst thing to freshen it up. It's been a lot of years of, of hollow notes. Um, kind of the one thing I'll say about the hollow notes song, it kind of reminds me of those pandemic days, like just being in an empty building when they'd score like, and I don't want to remember anything from that, that time really. Jeez. Um, it just like, I just, I think it's nice to have something fresh. And, and I, I found that to be a, a pretty catchy song. Um, and, and, finally this issue can be put to bed because this this sucked up a lot of oxygen around uh, Leafs Nation here the last few weeks. I thought Justin Bieber would have ended up having a goal song. It seemed like that Instagram post he put up saying he was looking forward to hearing hollow notes. It felt like that was enough of a clue that something was going to happen, but I don't know. Well, may, the maybe Leafs there is, is a possibility. The Leafs, I don't, I don't know the full extent of it. The Leafs are going to have a few other goal songs like on certain nights and it's, it's going to be switched up. And so maybe there's still some room to get the beebs in there. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, let's get to a uh, sports interaction with David Bastel. We still have a lot of other topics to get to. Uh, Connor Bedard will come up. We'll do another roundup, but we'll do a roundup of some of the other Canadian teams as well. When power sign an extension and we have to talk about uh, pride tape and the story with that. It's all part of the game. Welcome to You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. DB, uh, one race we have not talked about yet. Uh, who's going to score the most goals in the NHL this year? Uh, Austin Matthews and Brock Besser looking like the early favorites out the gate. Uh, tell us who is the betting favorite to win the Rock of Richard this year. I, I was going to say, despite that effort against the Oilers yesterday, uh, Brock Besser is not number one. It's Connor McDavid right now. He's paying a 325 at Sports Interaction. Interesting enough, Austin Matthews coming in at number two, and he, he had that hat trick against the Montreal Canadiens on opening night. He's right behind McDavid. A lot of our odds makers are saying this is a two horse race. Uh, I kind of wanted to get your take because this this is one of the more interesting battles. It's not really one of those that you well, you obviously you don't vote on it. You. You see who's number one, and if it's number one, it's number one kind of thing. It's We've seen ties as well. So uh, our top five list, McDavid, Matthews, Dreisaitl, Pasternak, and uh, Miko Rantanen, who's also off to a pretty decent start, mm-hmm. CJ. Yeah, I was going to say, don't sleep on Pasternak. He's got his name etched on, on that Rocker Richard trophy from a couple years ago. He had a couple goals on opening night for the Bruins. I, I think that, that he is someone to, to watch. And then obviously Matthews, right? I mean, he had a 40-goal season last year for him. That's a down year. And, you know, I would think that, well, he hasn't come out and said anything publicly that he's pretty motivated to, to, you know, show that that was a one-off and, you know, he, all indications are he's healthy. And when he's got three in the first game of the season, it might suggest that he's got a big year ahead. And uh, DB, it's uh, an AFC West showdown in uh, Thursday night yes. football, uh, Kansas city taking on Denver. Who you got? Well, you know what? I, I'm going to throw something else out to you because it's been very, very popular sports interaction. And, and, and I'm guessing most people that, you know, have TVs like the three of us um, know about the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey oh, relationship right. in, in some form or another. So 
Uh, once again, at Sports Interaction, we have Taylor Swift sighting. Travis Kelsey first touchdown. Oh, now now the the Broncos are pretty susceptible to giving away touchdowns to just about anybody, but I'll I'll throw this at you. It's paying seven fifty seven decimal five zero. That's seven and a half times your money. I'm not sure if Taylor Swift is going to be there, CJ, but Travis Kelsey scoring a touchdown, perhaps the first touchdown, that might be even a better bet. Yeah, I like that one. I I, I don't have a radar on Taylor Swift, so I don't <laughs> I don't know what city she's in. I don't know where, where her tour's at if she's got time off. But you know, it seems like she's been making the effort to be to those games, and I'm with you. I mean, if if you're going to have anyone on on Kansas City scoring the first touchdown, I don't think you can go wrong with Kelsey in a game. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Thank you, DB. Thanks, guys. Siege, uh, when we look back at uh, everyone's cup picks, a lot of people said Edmonton, Carolina, and one game does not ruin a cup prediction. Uh, But I'm pretty sure a lot of people who picked the Edmonton Oilers to win would have much rather they had a better start than what they had against the Vancouver Canucks. An 8-1 loss uh, at the hands of the Vancouver Canucks. What the hell was that? It was shitty. That's what Brett, Ooh, Kul- like that's that. what Brett that's, Kulak said. That's a very good, that's a very good term. Shitty. It, I mean, come on. You, I'm not even sure what you could do to, like, how can you explain that, that kind of start? I mean, the, the Oilers played well in preseason. Obviously, I think they've earned a lot of the hype around them. This podcast, we were among those saying that we think that they could be the team that ultimately lifts, lifts the cup. And that, of course, can still be the case. I mean, this might end up being a footnote uh, to a, a fantastic season, just you know, getting their lunch handed to them. And I think it's kind of interesting. Vancouver is actually in Edmonton now on Saturday night. So you don't even have to wait to get another look at the team that just uh, humbled you uh, in your season opener. And, and you know... It's it's just amazing how you go through three weeks. You know, I think the Oilers largely it's it's good stories in their training camp. Obviously, Jack Campbell had a strong camp, ends up earning the start in game one. It's all harmony, lots of talk about how dialed in McDavid and Drysidle are, you know, excitement around, you know, some of their additions like Connor Brown in the offseason and, and the things that he can bring to the team. And then you lose eight to one. It's just like, whoa. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure that I have an explanation. I did manage to catch a lot of that game. Uh, after attending the Leafs and Canadians game on on Wednesday night, but I, I can't explain what happened other than they got thoroughly beat. Um, Vancouver was was full marks. You know, Campbell gets pulled in the game. Stuart Skinner comes in afterwards, and he gets hung out to dry too, and lets in four goals. So, um, you know, only one way to go for the Oilers from from that performance. And uh, you know, I'll be interested to see how they respond right away, especially getting the Canucks in their next game. Let me ask you a question. All this show is really me asking you questions, but let me just ask you this one. Yeah. Let's imagine you are in the media room after that game and Rick Tockett comes up to the podium and he tells you uh, that he had to pull his goalie because he was dehydrated, had the flu and threw up in his mask. Is that too much information for you? No, because at at the time, (laughs) I mean, it sounds awful and I'm sorry that Thatcher Demko had to go through that, but at the time you're wondering why he got pulled, right? I mean, it was kind of unclear in that circumstance. You're wondering about an injury or if something else was going on. And so, um, pretty honest, uh, explanation of what was going on in that moment. Um, I would say from Rick Tockett, but I don't, I don't think it's too much info because again, I think you're on high alert as a, as a Canucks, um, media person covering that, that post game because you're wondering what the hell, like why would a goalie get pulled on the way to an eight, one victory? But um, that's a pretty good explanation as to why I think it's understandable why he didn't continue on. And um, you know, nothing to see here. Let's just hope Thatcher gets some, gets healthy soon and uh, can put that behind him. Yeah. Uh, I was watching uh, the flames and jets at the same time as that Canucks Oilers game was happening. And uh, uh, one reporter who normally is around the Oilers, uh, Derek Van Deest, uh, we were just talking throughout the game, and he kept mentioning, 
that uh, I believe the Oilers have like a like a fan autograph signing today at West Edmonton Mall. Could oh, you imagine man. being like Connor McDavid? Exactly. Could you imagine you have like you get your ass handed to you the night before? You got to wake up. You got to sign these autographs all day. <laughs> I just hope they're nice. Yeah, you got you got to feel like your your tail's between your legs a little bit when you're when you're doing Ugh. that. I mean, look at I think some losses are so bad though. Like it's almost just like all right, let's just call it what it is, right? I mean, there, there's no. There's no finding a silver lining in a game like that. I don't think that there's any one or two individual performers we can identify and say, well, at least this person, you know, played well. I mean, it it just was a total stinker from top to bottom. And so in a strange way, I sometimes think it's easier to throw those games out and, and you know, start fresh than something. And, you know, maybe a game like the Leafs game, right? Like the Leafs can feel good winning six, five, but there, I mean, there was so much bad in that game for what's supposed to be a good team. Like, Sometimes maybe winning that game doesn't get your attention the same way on some of the details. And we'll see how the Leafs progress out of that uh, with, with Minnesota coming to town on Saturday. But, you know, I think it with in Edmonton's case, like they're, they're going to get back to practice and I mean, they'll go through that interview or that, that autograph session. I'm sure the fans will still be happy to meet them. Maybe some laughs about the game. <laughs> maybe a day later, you can almost laugh at how bad it was. And then they'll be right back at work on Friday. And I don't think there's any mystery that, they need to find a lot more detail, urgency, and, and compete. They just lost way too many battles all over the ice. Can you imagine being a little kid wanting an autograph from Connor McDavid, and the next thing you ask is, what happened? You try to <laughs> explain what happened. <laughs> did you see Why on you guys uh, suck? Did, did you, see, you might not have caught this clip, but Joffrey Lupul recently was on the Missing Curfew podcast, and he was, okay. he was saying that when he was a Leaf, you know, he was a Leaf for a number of years there, that sometimes yeah. you go out to like a bar or whatever after a game, and the odd fan would be like, you guys stink or what's going on with the power play. And he, and he said he never used to understand why fans did that. He's like, I never understood why fans cared that much. Like why you bother. And then he said, he watched that Jay's loss and he was like, now I understand. He's like, those fans, <laughs> he's like, cause I, he's like, if I saw, he's like, if I saw Vladdy or any of these guys, I would be like, what the hell was that? And so <laughs> oh, I thought that was a funny uh, kind of reveal from a former player there. But um yeah, I mean, I, I think most fans, let's face it, are are really nice. I mean, look, I got people yelling at me on my Twitter feed sometimes or making cracks about whatever, my height, picket, all this gray in my beard. And people then, make jokes but, about your height? Oh, over the years. Yeah, like, whatever. It's low-hanging fruit. I'm not uh, – yeah. I mean, this is a Short Kings podcast. We've, we we own that with pride, but, like, I'm not I'm – very, very, I'm very – I'm 5'9". I'm, like, barely a Short King. I don't even think I am, really. Oh, you're a Short King. Five nine's not that small. Yeah, under anything under five ten is a short king. Uh, okay, all right. I, well, okay, <laughs> what are if you trying to? Is, wait a minute. So no, if that's the rule, if that's the rule, I'm not trying to fight it. If that's no, what but, it is, whoa, whoa. I will take. I'll accept it. I'll whoa. accept it. Are you trying to distance yourself from the whole short kings thing? Like you, we used to no. wear this as a badge of honor around here. Yo, someone in the chat right now is saying that I'm not five nine. I am five. Nine. I don't think you're five stop nine this. either. I, I didn't I'm even want to go there. Producer, producer Nick, stop this. I'm five nine. I'm taller than CJ. Bring Nick in stop here. I want, I want Nick's voice on this one. Like what? Can we bring Nick? Are you willing to bring your voice into this? Just even if you do sound like we need someone to adjudicate this madness. Nowhere. Oh my god. Okay, five eight something. Stop. Okay, stop this. Stop this. Stop speaking bad on my name, please. Anyway. <laughs> I thought you might be like five seven, honestly, but I'm not five. If you're f- if I'm five seven, you're five five, dude. I don't think you're that much taller than me. I'm not even sure I'm if taller you are than taller you. than me. I am taller than you. All We've right. been through this. I don't know. Let's. We're gonna need a camera and some proof when you get to Toronto next. Okay. Well, that's gonna happen sooner rather than later. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, I was not watching uh, the Oilers and the Canucks play each other because I was watching the Flames and the Jets. Well, and... What? I just what were I... you going to say? What were you going to say? Well, I just I, anyway, I was going to say say some say some. After say all, some. we got we got down the Short Kings rabbit hole. But I was going to say though, whenever I do, like I, you know, routinely see people and they say hi on the street or like at the oh game, right yes game sorry, last night. Sorry. I was doing a hit in the in the bowl with for TSN with Mark Masters and a few fans came over and stuff. Everybody is always so nice in person. So, like, I would imagine even if you're an Oiler, the day after an 8-1 season opening loss, 99.9% of the people going through that autograph line are probably just happy to meet you, looking for a selfie. Um, I, I doubt that they're taking much heat there. Now, they might be taking a little heat in the coach's room, though, the next time they're in there with Jay Woodcroft and his staff. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I generally didn't mean to 
not let you finish your your story. That's actually I'm not surprised. You're a very likable human being, CJ. So I'm not surprised that people would come up to you and be like, "Hey, man, like you know, can I get a photo with you?" You know, everyone's nice. It's funny. Like I had two people yesterday, two fans was like, "Hey, I met you in this other place this time." Um, it's funny how that is. I don't know, small world, man. Did I tell you about? And then we'll get back to hockey. Did I tell you about the time uh, I went to a, a Blues Fest in Ottawa? And I was watching, uh, it was Foo Fighters this year. And these two women behind me, they recognized me. They're like, we know you from the CJ show. Like, in the middle of this crowded-ass festival. Wow. two fans. That's insane. Did they, like, did they tell you more? Was it my sister? She lives in Ottawa. No, they were just, it just, they were just, like, two cool people. Uh, I was just hanging out with, uh, you know, uh, Joshua Clipperton. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Jean Mayer, too. Uh, one of my colleagues at the Athletic. We were just watching the show. And uh, these two nice people just came up to me. They're just like, "Oh, we we see you on the the CJ show." They're just they're just fans of the show. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I hear a lot of that actually. Like honestly, I'm not just making it up because of the medium we're at. Like a lot of people yeah. when they walk by me, they're like, "Hey, CJ, I love your podcast." Like I I hear yeah. like the I used to get it like you know go back five years and be like, "Hey, you know I love seeing you on Hockey Night Can or whatever." Like people say TV, but I'm not hearing the TV as much these days. I don't know. Maybe people aren't watching. I don't. But yeah, the, I'm just glad to know the fans are enjoying the show. Thing. Yeah, we appreciate you all, uh, whoever who listens, whoever watches. Uh, we we really appreciate. We you also guys, understand so, uh, if you're uh, you. if you're rattled by Julian trying to claim he's five nine and that he's not a short king. But yeah, I also understand the there are probably people who are still rattled at the fact that you only put pepper in your food. But you know what? That's a whole other discussion for another day. That's your dad. Let's talk about Sorry, the Mr. flames McKenzie. of the Jets. <laughs> yeah yeah my dad was not my dad was like look when you come to montreal we gonna set you up okay <laughs> i didn't say only pepper i just was citing like one spice that i would put into food well okay then what other spices that's an opportunity that was an opportunity <laughs> for you to say everything that you put in you don't just say pepper and let that egg <laughs> okay this show's getting off the rails cj i like pepper okay uh the calgary flames uh they beat the winnipeg jets um kind of similar to the toronto maple leafs at that uh maybe they didn't play their best uh the the flames were not at their best they got caved in at five on five they lost the high danger chance battle uh jacob markstrom allowed a really bad goal in the first period but they still won that game they battled back after the jets tied it and multi-point games for Andrew Mangiapane and Elias Lindholm, Jonathan Huberto at the end too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, CJ. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to make light of anything, but like Jonathan Huberto had like a wide open net and tried to put it in and went off the post, and Andrew Mangiapane put it back in on the rebound. And that's that might be the funniest assist I've ever seen. But all that to say, uh, that top line came through when it really mattered for the Calgary Flames. Right, and and. Look at anyone paying attention. I'm high on the flames this year. I'm not, I'm expecting mm-hmm. a big year from them. Um, I think last year's the outlier, not the start of a trend or telling us where the organization's headed. Um, and you're right. Good win. I mean, what was it like in the building? What was the vibe like? I, obviously pretty touching tribute with, with Chris knows, yeah. you know, widow and his, his children there to start the game. I mean, what, what was the arena atmosphere like on opening night? In Calgary. Yeah, I, I, we have to talk about that tribute first uh, because uh, not many dry eyes uh, for that tribute to um, uh, Kelsey, to Chris Snow and, and seeing Kelsey and, and her two kids on the ice dropping that uh, puck for the ceremonial face-off. That was a really good moment. Uh, we've seen a few pregame tributes throughout preseason, and obviously for this one to start off the year, uh, that was really touching. And just to see all the fans get up and do a standing ovation for them, Really touching to see. Uh, today is also uh, the memorial service for uh, Chris as well in Calgary. So um, really uh, difficult time, obviously, for that family. But I'm really happy that uh, the Flames have been able to take time to celebrate Chris as much as they can. And then as the game went on, uh, I thought they were in good voice. I thought it was a, it was a good game. There was some good energy. I, I think there's some fans who are trying to be cautiously optimistic about right. the year. They're looking at the preseason. They're seeing that there are some changes. There are some people who are wondering if they've connected enough in terms of chemistry. There are people looking at Jacob Barkstrom and saying, hey, well, you know, is he still going to allow bad goals? Is Huberto still going to be able to put up points? There's a lot of questions. And ultimately, even as much as the team can say that, you know, the vibes are better than last year, 
it's still really on this team to prove that they're better than last year. It's still going to take a lot for them to, to, to really kind of sway some people in that regard, but they do look talented. They do look a little better in some regards than last year, but there's a lot of games to go in order for them to really sway people's minds. Well, and vibes don't put points in the standings. Like I, I appreciate it. And I do understand that last year was a really difficult experience for that team and the players like, like that, that's all real, but just cause you feel good at work doesn't mean you perform well all the time either. Right. I mean, it's, if it was that easy, every team would have great seasons, right? It's, it's, there's a lot more that goes into it. It's a new coaching staff. I mean, I, I think it's exciting and I can understand why there is some trepidation, right? Like you feel like maybe you touched the stove last season, if you're a fan there in Calgary and you don't want to, you don't want to burn your hand again. So um, yes, flames puns included for free with this That's podcast today, but <laughs> you gotta, but you, you know, you probably want to be a little careful about not getting too carried away, but I, I think there's reason for optimism. I, I think it's actually, it's a pretty good time in Canada right now. Like, I, I don't know. We'll see if, if, you know, Vancouver, it's hard to be critical of them when they just put up eight on Edmonton, but we'll see how things go there. You know, Ottawa's in a tough one out of the gate, like not having Shane Pinto sign, having to dress yeah. a skater short to, yeah. to, to start their season in Carolina on Wednesday. I mean, that, like, there should be considerable heat on, on the way they've managed their salary cap and, and the, the, the way they put themselves in this position where Shane Pinto's now in Ottawa skating, getting ready for the year. And they can't sign them because they don't have the cap space and they didn't have enough cap room to, to dress 18 skaters and they lose on opening night against the hurricanes. Um, but I still think Ottawa, we should be pretty optimistic on them. And then obviously, you know, Toronto and Edmonton, two teams trying to win a cup. I think Montreal, everyone's on board with the plan and Winnipeg. They got the, they got the big horses signed live on Monday's show of the CJ uh, podcast here. Wild so reaction. I the know. Jets looked good, by the way. I, I'll, I'll, I need to give them credit, too, because they looked really good, even though they didn't get that win. Uh, but just the pace that they were able to play at, the offensive chances they were able to get, they actually looked really good uh, yesterday against the Calgary Flames. I need to give them that credit. So how many playoff teams do you got in Canada this year? Toronto's a playoff team for me. Edmonton's a playoff team for me. Calgary's a playoff team for me. I think I have just those three teams because I'm not sure. Well, hmm. Ottawa, I still don't know. Winnipeg, I don't think they're a playoff team. Montreal is not a playoff team. Uh, Vancouver is not a playoff team for me. Ottawa is oh, wow. the only team. You're going with three. Yeah, three. Ottawa is the one team I'm just – I was all in on them making the playoffs last year, and I'm not interested in getting burned again. Well, mark like, me I, down I here. Yet. CJ's picks. I'm yes. going with five Canadian playoff Ooh. teams. So Montreal and and who else will miss? Montreal and Vancouver I've got missing. I think Winnipeg sneaks in, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, and Ottawa. Okay. All right. Cool. So I'm going Mark to... Mark CJ down. Big five out of seven here in Canada. Okay. I need to properly think about this. I think... I'm going to say three. Stick I'm with say three. three Go teams. with your gut. I'm sticking with three. I'm sticking with the three. I'm sticking with Toronto. I'm sticking with Edmonton. I like it because you're not on the fence. With... Like four would have been kind of a fence sitting. Yeah, that's it. It's just. But three and I, five. I wanna... Time will tell. I want to believe in the Senators, man. And and I still think they're going about things the right way. It's just that Atlantic division is still tough. Like Toronto's good. Tampa's good. Boston is might still be good enough, uh, even though they don't have Krejci and, and Bergeron anymore. I'm all in on the Sabres making the playoffs this year. I'm all in on that team making. Well, it. if you're in on the Sabres, it's hard to be in on the Senators. Like, I, it's hard to imagine both getting in. It's obviously mathematically possible, but I think it's unlikely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Sabres, by the way, um, or I don't know, do you have any other thoughts on on the Senators losing to to the Hurricanes? We should probably spend some time on them too. Not really, other than like honestly, to me, all the focus should be on the front office and the decision making and yeah. the way this has unfolded. Unfortunately, Josh Norris is still not healthy enough to, to play, not getting Shane Pinto signed and, and basically not figuring this out ahead of time, I think is really a tough look. It doesn't get easier, by the way, like the season has started now. So the way it works when you sign a contract in season, the, the cap, it gets prorated up. And so it, it, the point really being is that it's, it becomes tougher with each passing day to get it to a number that Shane Pinto is willing to sign that the senators can fit in their cap picture. And so I think that there is huge heat on, on that front office right now 
to create room, whether it's, you know, we, we've talked a lot about trading Matthew Joseph potentially, uh, and he gets a point uh, in, in the, the opening game. Maybe it's Eric Brandstrom. Uh, I think they have, they have to do something. I mean, I, I just think something has to give there. They played a skater short because of some injuries they have too. I mean, they just have not managed their way into the season in a way that you would want for a team with the expectations they have. And, you know, I don't know if I bang this drum enough, like Shane Pinto's like a legit player for them. Like this is not, yeah. this is not someone that you can put yourself in this situation with. And so whether it was the Kubelik, you know, getting him the trade for Debrinket, you know, the choice to sign Tarasenko at 5 million, like they just didn't manage the, the cap picture well enough. They didn't project properly. And now they put themselves in a really tough spot with a, an important member of the team, a young member of the team. And, I mean, they're they're already they're already under the gun. It's crazy to say one game into the season, but this is this is the NHL. I mean, someone's going to lose three in a row out of the gate. I'm not predicting it's Ottawa. Just saying in general, and there will be legit heat in that market. Like that's that's how it's how it goes. So, um, I don't have a lot of specific thoughts on the game against Carolina, other than they didn't bring their best team to that game in part because of how they've managed their their salary cap picture. And it doesn't seem, by the way that you're talking, that Pinto and the Sens are any closer to getting a deal done. Well, I think they are closer. I mean, the fact he's traveled to Ottawa, like he's willing to sign the contract. It It's a matter now of them creating the rooms in order to allow him to sign the contract. And so I I, I do think they're close in the sense that this isn't this giant standoff at this point. I, I really do think it's down to them having to manage the roster in a certain way. And obviously teams aren't lining up to do them a favor, right? I mean... You're not you're not taking one of these players unless Ottawa's attaching a sweetener to it. I mean, would it take a first round pick maybe attached, you know, to trade Matthew Joseph to create the room? That's what it might take. I mean, he's got multiple years left on his contract, roughly three million dollar player. Um, you know, no one is gonna just take it for free, is is kind of the point. And so I think that that's the the rock and the hard place that the senators are between. I, I can't see this going on. I'm surprised we got here. I, I will say that. I figured something would have given that they got him and signed in time for the season to start. I can't see this going too deep into next week. I think that they have to make this move now. Okay. Uh, what about the Buffalo Sabres and uh, their extension uh, with Owen Power? Seven years, uh, 8.35 mil. That's the AAV. Here to stay, it says uh, from the Buffalo Sabres uh, on their Twitter. They put up a little cool graphic of Owen Power and it says here to stay. Uh, but they 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 lock up Rasmus Dahlin. They lock up Owen Power. Uh, Matias Samuelson's also locked up for the long term as well. Sabers continuing to lock up that core. Yeah, Dylan Cousins and Tage Thompson too. I mean, all these contracts signed in the last year or so. And look, all those players you just mentioned are under twenty five. They're all signed now, basically till the end of this decade. And and in the case of Dahlin and Power, into the early twenty thirties. And the only one above 8.4 million is, is Darlene. And, and look, I know some people will pine on his number ending up at 11 million. I think we have to be really clear here. He only had one year of restricted free agency in that eight year extension. So this is basically a UFA contract. And as a result of that, he gets paid UFA money. I mean, that's the equivalent contract to like where Drew Doughty signed his $11 million deal to where Eric Carlson got an 11 and a half million. That's that's where he was at. And so I, I think that that explains why his number is so high. I think with the rest of this group, you're like, wow, this is relatively cost controlled. This is, to me, a smart bet. I mean, I, I can't tell you for sure that those players will become good enough to be the core around a Stanley Cup, but I think it's reasonable to think it could happen. Like, I I, I don't think it's a lock and, and if this is sports and these are human beings and things happen, but I really like the the kind of cost certainty that Kevin Adams and his front office has set up here because now it's very clear, you know, what, what they have to do. They, they know what their big expenses are. Now it's just about, you know, obviously providing the right players around them. They're going to have to make trades. They're going to have to draft and develop other players. All these things will happen over the course of this five, six, seven year window, but it's a long window where I think they, they should be a team that has a chance to, to win the, the big mug. So, I mean, I, I like the deal. I like the kind of the spirit where they get both players done before opening night. Um, and, you know, remo again, removes questions, removes any sort of doubt about this. I think there should be a ton of optimism around that team. So it, this has been a, a pretty smart cap management strategy, in my opinion. We'll see if it works out. As I say, these are all sort of bets. 
and and they, they may not all pay off exactly as you'd project but you know having power and Darlene on on uh, your blue line to build around you know Thompson had a massive year last year cousins looks like a great player Samuelson signed at a reasonable number I mean this this should be the core of a team that that can do some special things together let's move on from one young player to arguably the biggest young player in the moment right now Connor Bedard uh, in Chicago gets his first assist against the Pittsburgh Penguins earlier this week, scores his first NHL goal against the Boston Bruins. Uh, I'm sure you've seen that photo of him holding that puck with the stone <laughs> Through face. gritted teeth? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, trying to hide whatever smile he has. Uh, what are your thoughts bit, What are your thoughts on, on Connor Bedard's uh, first real week in the NHL? So this is legit. This is what legit buzz looks like, right? I mean, I think it was the highest rated ESPN game. Um, highest rated regular season game that, that uh, wasn't like the winter million. classic yeah yeah uh the the, the chicago pittsburgh game 1.43 million people tuned in on espn so get this is a story i heard so the opener in pittsburgh that game was broadcast nationally by three different networks mm-hmm. uh because you had tva there as well uh in addition to espn and then and, and sportsnet connor bedard did an interview at the first intermission at the second intermission and after the game on the bench, like I've never heard of a player doing that. He was also mic'd up in the game as was Sidney Crosby. And apparently there's some really good stuff to come out of that. I know they, they played a little bit on the, the, the SBN broadcast. I saw, you know, they, they had him mic'd up when they, when he had the assist on the Ryan Donato goal, his first NHL point. Um, I mean, this guy is getting a level of attention really not seen probably McDavid, but, but certainly Crosby, this is kind of what it reminds me of maybe because he's in an American market. So he's getting, I mean, obviously all the special players, this being Canada, you know, get a lot of spotlight in Canada, but in the States, I, I feel like this guy's actually really making a dent and, you know, it's going to be an absolute zoo. He plays here in Toronto on Monday. I think it's going to be crazy town just given the the number of requests he's under. And so part of, I think his story as we watch him in the early stage of his career is just, how does he handle all of that? Because that's that's unusual. Most teams, Julian, I will tell you, will flat out not let you talk to the same player at one intermission and the next intermission. I mean, it's kind of understood if you know if you're doing a Flames game and you get Kadri at the first intermission, you can't ask for him at the second intermission no matter what's happened. Um, but but Bedard has been extremely accommodating in the league. People that have been working with him really have nothing but great things to say about how he's handled it all. And um, you know, that's an aspect of what he's going through. I mean. On the ice, I know there's been a ton of attention. You know, he, he has a tough night in the faceoff dot in the game in Pittsburgh, bounced back pretty well in, in Boston. Um, you know, it's going to be tough being a first-line center right out of the gate. Uh, a lot of players in his shoes or skates uh, get, get eased into the lineup a little bit better. Chicago just doesn't have that option with the roster that they have right now. But um, pretty strong debut, I would say, in the league. Did he have, what, five shots in the first period or two of the game in Pittsburgh? He's not, not being shy. And, um, you know, I think that there's, I mean, this, this is a guy playing in a huge market in the U S who's, I think, you know, really important to the NHL right now. I mean, it, we shouldn't look past that. I think he's the rare player that might generate interest beyond, I mean, we, we kind of cater probably to the elite, like the extreme fans, right. That we're kind of in that group, Yeah. but I think he can draw in casual fans a little bit and in places maybe where the game isn't already popping and that's that's pretty exciting for the league yeah they need him to i mean obviously it's on Connor bedard to play well on the ice but it's cool that the league is going out of its way to try to market this guy that's that's what we that's what the league needs they needs the they need these superstars broadcasted and 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 having them be the main story which will with the next topic we're going to get to i think might hurt that a little bit at least at the start but like for Connor bedard the fact that the number is as big as it was for espn on, on the debut and while I think it's a bit tough for any rookie to go through a stretch where you're starting off in, with road games in Chicago, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, and Colorado, it's good exposure off the bat for for this type of player. That's it's technically a, it's actually a, it's good scheduling wise if you're looking at it from an exposure point of view. For I sure, think. but it's damn difficult too. Like keep in mind they're opening every team season too, right? It's yes. the home opener in Pittsburgh, the home opener in Boston, home opener in Montreal. Right out of the gate. Now, they'll get to Toronto. They've already played games at home. And then I believe it's the home opener in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken, too. So you're, you're there on, like, the 
amped up night for the other team too. And it's a long road trip out of the gate. Obviously it's got to be exhausting to some degree to have the demands placed on him. You can't just focus on the game, right? Like he's, he's got a microphone in his face everywhere he looks. And, you know, by all counts, as I say, like I heard nothing but rave reviews from the people that were in Pittsburgh for that opening game, just how he kind of dealt with that spotlight, but it's, it's shining pretty brightly on him, probably more than any player we've seen since Crosby Ovechkin. That's, that's kind of just my opinion. I think because McDavid, you know, who unquestionably is the best player on earth and just outrageously talented, but playing at Edmonton, he doesn't get the same kind of, um, you know, exposure down the U S the way Bedard's going to. Oh, by the way, uh, the first home game for Connor Bedard uh, later this month against the Vegas Golden Knights. So a big hype up night for Chicago and you get the reigning cup champions. Right. <laughs> Who uh, just unfurled a Stanley Cup banner out of a slot machine, which was absolutely loved it. Awesome. I mean, I love how Vegas just leans into being Vegas anyway. I love it. Uh, one other Connor McDavid thing I'll mention, uh, just because I, I just saw this coming across on Twitter. Uh, we did mention the autograph uh, event going on. Uh, there are these photos from Connor Haley. Uh, there's like basically people lined up almost seven hours before this event even started. And the entire mall is just there's a whole section of fans in this one part of the mall who are just camped out waiting for Connor McDavid to sign autographs. And, and, and I believe this photo was posted at like 10 o'clock local time. And seven hours before then, like, that is insane to me. I just wanted that mentioned. That just goes to show how much of, of a god he is in the city of Edmonton. That is insane. I remember lining up in the middle of the night once to get a Radiohead album being released. Really? Yeah. It was released at, like, midnight, and I was, like, lined up on Young Street at HMV. Damn. There's a generation of y'all who don't know what HMV is. Yeah. That, that, another that, one, I once it, lined up for three hours in Coburg to get John Olerud's autograph when he was the Blue Jays' first baseman, and he came to sign oh, autographs. I can't think of a guy I've, I've stood in a, in a line of hours for. That's, it's, definitely an epi- it's definitely for another episode for sure, but we should probably <laughs> think of like celebrity autograph stories or, or anything like that. We'll send them in or, or bring up more of those because I'm sure uh, we've got some good ones to talk about as well and good celebrity signings. Uh, we should... Uh, get to our next topic, which is arguably, has arguably been the biggest story of the week in the NHL involving uh, Pride Night, specifically with the Pride Night tape, the rainbow tape used uh, by certain players uh, on their sticks uh, as part of uh, the changes with specialty nights. Uh, the tape has been banned. And since that ban, uh, which was officially made clear in, in June, but after some follow-up reporting, uh, Ryan Clark has done so, and, and Outsports specifically uh, got the story about uh, tape being banned. Uh, we have seen a lot of reactions from players. Uh, players like Scott Lawton have straight up said that they'll, they're to hell with the ban. They'll go against it anyway. All this over hockey tape. Like, for me, this is just a good gesture just the whole idea of Pride Nights and, and other specialty nights like Black History Month. I'll even mention Anthony Duclair uh, expressing concern about Black History Month events going forward for the NHL. But these are just good gestures for the league to show that they could be inclusive of everyone. And now that we've seen the changes that are being put in place, it's not a good look for the league, CJ. I would love to know your thoughts on this. Well, it's an overreach. It's an overreaction. It. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me why you even bother, to be honest. I mean, on some level, I will say, I can understand how they got to where they got to with the sweaters. It's not to say that I like the decision necessarily, but I can understand where they were thinking it was creating negative headlines out of something intended to be positive, that, you know, the league's contention would be it was seven players who didn't wear one out of many hundreds who did. And so I can, I can understand where you're not wanting to put players in a position where they feel like they're forced to support any cause. And keep in mind, that could include military nights or police nights or, or some other issues that maybe not all players are comfortable supporting. The issue for me with the pride tape is that it was always individual. To my recollection, it was never like a team-wide required thing. It was obviously certain players elected to show their support uh, for the community by, by using that pride tape. And I just don't know why you'd get in the way of that. It was, you know... I think almost always exclusively done pretty much in, in warmups. I think Jonathan Huberto's used it in a game, but yes. um, you know, primarily it's been used in pra- on practice days or in warmups as a way to show support. 
show some individual ism, right? I mean, that's what we're, this is being stomped out. I, I don't understand it. I still have to believe there's a chance the rule is rescinded, retracted, what have you. We've seen a number, in addition to the players that have spoken out, we've seen a number of, you know, pretty hard hitting statements that the, the biggest one that stood out to me, Julian, was the one from Brian Burke. Um, you know, Brian obviously has a long history in the league, has been very, um, I'm trying to find the right adjective. He's been a very, very strong ally. He's, you know, lived on in his son, Brendan, uh, who many might remember, but you might not know who, who had come out as gay and tragically died in a car accident uh, soon after while Brian was a GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And since that time, I mean, Brian really has, has done a lot to, to be supportive of, of the gay community. And, you know, he's also though very close with the NHL's front office, right? He's, he worked in the head office as a disciplinarian. He's known Gary Bettman and Bill Daly going back 30 odd years. And he put out a pretty pointed statement. I actually bumped into Brian at the Leafs Canadians game on Wednesday night in the press box. And, you know, he, he basically told me, look, I waited 24 hours after this news came out to see if they were going to backtrack or maybe say we overstepped here. They didn't. He came out with a statement and he said, look, if they try to find anybody, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure we put up the money for, for those fines. Like he's, he's, you know, pretty um, strongly against this. And, and, you know, the PHL, PWHLPA, which he runs, put out a statement. I know mm-hmm. Alphabet put out a statement with uh, Bain Pattinger and, and Brock. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just hard for me to get my mind around. I'm curious to see if, when or if a player does challenge this by just going ahead and doing it. And, how the league responds if that does happen. But yeah, it's a shame. I'm, I, I have no defense for it. I, I don't really understand it. And I concur that on the first week of the regular season, this is probably not something the league would want everyone talking about, but everyone was talking about it and with good reason. You know, like we mentioned all these other stories throughout and, and Connor Bedard in, in a different world, that's, that's arguably the biggest thing we're talking about on the show. But the fact that, to to enter the week especially with all those matchups that they presented on the first night of the nhl like we should have just been talking about how Connor bedard versus Sidney crosby that opening face-off shot and seeing how that goes the number one overall picks play against each other but the fact that this story ended up being a thing i just it's just another example of the nhl just not able to get out of its own way and essentially being sideshow Bob from the Simpsons in that one scene where he just keeps stepping on all of these rakes. That's basically it. Anytime it feels, it feels like this to me, but it feels like anytime the league wants to take this step ahead and show why they're the best hockey league in the world, there's a story like this that just pops up and brings them two steps back. And this is just another example of that to me. It's exasperating. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are the best hockey league in the world, but they're not always the best at certainly not the best at managing these kind of situations of promoting some individuality in the players. I mean, I, I just feel like this should be an individual choice for anyone who wants mm-hmm. to show support in that way. It's a, let's face it, it. It's a pretty small gesture we're talking about. I think it means a lot um, to, to the people that, that see it. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing the gesture, but we're talking about putting tape on a stick for a warm up. Like it really, I just don't see it as an issue. I mean, a lot of players have wore purple tape too during the hockey fights cancer month, right? I mean, to, to support cancer, like, are we going to have it where you can't support cancer? Like, it just, it, it, yeah. I mean, I almost have nothing more to say, Julian, other than. No, I get you. Like, because like I get so far down, I'm just like, I just don't really see a need for this. I can't believe they're actually going to enforce it. Um, I would encourage any and all players that are inclined to use pride tape to go ahead and do it. I, I think that, I think that that would be a strong statement to the community. I, I recognize some players, especially the season's just getting going. They don't want to become the story, right? Which is kind of uh, what would happen here. Um, but I think it would be a strong statement if someone did it. And I, I really have a hard time believing the league would actually find a player or a team um, for, for disregarding this. As, as much as they've obviously come down with this directive, I just, I don't think it really should have any teeth. I don't know, man. I, if I'm a player in the league, uh, whether it's Pride Night, Black History Month, uh, any of the other specialty months, I would do something like that. I, I, would, I would go against the rule. And whether I have to put up the money myself 
or if teammates are willing to to front it for me or the front office of my team feels that way, I feel like I should do it because I think it's absolutely ridiculous that the NHL has, has literally bent over backwards for seven people. Seven people. That's really what it is at the end of the day. Seven people decided to be individuals for the first time uh, with regards to the sport. And yeah, I'm saying that in jest a little bit, but we all know how the league can be in terms of individuality and making sure everyone's this unified front as opposed to just being these individual persons. But this is really because of seven people who decided to do this and it's resulted into a nightmare for this league. It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a joke. It's an right, absolute but joke. Unlike the Jersey thing where everyone was supposed to wear it. And then obviously a few didn't. And then that becomes a story. This is totally optional. This is literally, it might be three players on one team decide to use a tape. Like, is that really that big a deal? Like that, that's kind of what it I should come have back been to. a big deal, but I, I do actually believe honestly in this Julian, that, mm-hmm. that any of any of the causes, whatever it is, it should be optional. Like, I don't think anyone I'm not, and I'm not defending, look at, I would wear the pride sweater. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm not hinting at that. I should be clear. But, you know, ultimately, I think some of like what you choose to support should be your choice. Let let people again, it's such a small thing. Tape on a stick in a warm up is just let that happen. Like there's no reason that shouldn't happen. It doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't harm anybody. It doesn't even single out the the seven people that you're referencing here. Mm -hmm. It's I just think it's silly to, to tell the players they can't do it. And that's why someone like Scott Lawton basically said, yeah, I mean, they can't really tell you. Like, they can say what they want. They can't stop him from doing it. I'm glad he said what he said. And I know there are other players who stepped up and 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 commented on how ridiculous this is. But what I'll say, specifically with Scott, and, and I'm sure someone else will do this too, we're going to see pushback on this. We are going to see players step up against this rule. It was wild for everyone to think that players would step out of line and go against this. I no longer think it's far-fetched for players to step up and say, to hell with this rule. I'll pay what find me. I don't give a damn. Like we're going to see this. I don't know when, but I'm sure on this podcast we will be in. We will talk about this. I'm, I get I get nervous with each passing day that we don't see it. I'll be honest. Like I, I know it's hard because you are bringing a lot of attention on yourself. Like that's the a necessary part of it. Um, I'm surprised we haven't seen it already. Honestly, in the first two nights of the season, but we'll be watching tonight and tomorrow and see where this goes. Let's see. And with that, uh, we're right at the end of the show. Uh, so it's time for Stick Tap since it is a Thursday edition. Uh, who would you like to give your Stick Tap to? Well, I mean, I might even be speaking for you. Probably the easiest Stick Tap to give out is to Scott Lawton, right? I mean, for yeah. at least among the players I've seen quoted, obviously I might have missed something in the last day or two. It's been busy start to the, the week. Um, but, you know, he was the most forceful. He very clearly intimated that he wouldn't be adhering to this rule when, when it came to time for the, the flyers themselves to have a pride night. And uh, I commend him for, for doing that. I think, I think hopefully more players follow suit and it's not always comfortable putting yourself out there the way he has, but I, I think he's been pretty consistent in that. If, if you know his track record at all, and he's been an excellent ally to that community. And I, uh, I applaud him for continuing to do that. Even as the noose is getting a little tighter around everyone in the league in terms of what you can and can't do. I echo your sentiments. I will also extend a stick tap to Anthony Duclair, who uh, one quote I'll, I'll, I'll take from an article written by Sheng Peng, uh, who spoke out uh, about this as well, uh, Anthony Duclair. Uh, for me, you're also banning Black History Month. I think we're taking a step back, a, t- a step backwards, to be honest. Like, And that needs to not be forgotten in all this, too. Pride Night is a massive night and a massive topic in all of this too, but there's genuine concern for so many other specialty nights and how players can express themselves, including black history month. So I'm happy that, uh, Anthony Duclair uh, brought a voice to that part of the debate as well. It shouldn't really be a debate. We should be able to have everyone in the league express how they feel, uh, with regards to these nights. So uh, the fact that it's become a story is a bit ridiculous, as you can tell from the way that Chris and I have been speaking on it, but I'm glad that we've been able to, uh, you know, show some stick taps to players who have spoken out and used their platforms over the last few days. Here, here, buddy. And it's good to have the games back too. And this is, this is a fun, this is a fun week, even amid that heavy topic. I have to say, uh, despite uh, that news, the, despite that dark cloud, this is the most excited I've ever been for an opening to a season. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I've like, just at the rink yesterday, I was just, I was in such a great mood and I don't know. I, I can't really explain it, Siege. I've never been this excited uh, to start a season. Not when I was Montreal, even last year, 
when I when I got in Calgary, like I I I did not feel that same amount of excitement that I feel this year. And I can't wait for the games for more games to get going, more episodes to keep coming in. We'll get to dead trade deadline, uh all-star game in Toronto this year, Heritage Classic at the end of the month in Edmonton. Like I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, man, you should be. Look, you're you're finding your place. I'm sure you're a little more comfortable the second season around, you know, being in the Flames beat writer and you know, on top of that, I mean, it's good to be us. We're lucky to do what we do, and I'm glad you're, you're feeling that way. Just uh, let that gratitude shine through, my friend. Absolutely, man. Uh, if you have questions for CJ for our Monday edition, get them in now, whether on Discord or on Twitter. Uh, just use the hashtag AskCJ, uh, whether you use it on Twitter. I know I keep saying Twitter, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I, X or whatever. You can still call it Twitter, I think. You can still call it Twitter. It doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, get those questions. There's no in. one on earth. We'll... If you say Twitter that won't know what you're talking about. If you say X, you might actually confuse people. D- what? Don't you mean? Yeah. I've never heard anyone say, don't you mean X? Anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode of the CJ show for CJ. I'm Julian. So long. And peace. The Chris Johnson show. Powered by sports interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.